Welcome to Banyan Books, Branches of Wisdom. Celebrating the joy of bright ideas and heartful lifelong learning. Branches of Wisdom is a series of intimate conversations with the world's most influential authors and visionaries. We explore spirituality and the human mind, ecology and culture. Most episodes are recorded with a live audience. You can join our live events and submit questions to your favorite guests. Check out our upcoming schedule at banyan.com. Since 1970, Banyan Books has been a rich oasis at the crossroads of wisdom and philosophy, offering resources for humanity's evolving paths. We're a locally owned independent bookstore in the heart of Vancouver's Kitsilano neighborhood. Visit us in person or shop online at banyan.com. Please subscribe, follow, like, and leave your reviews for the podcast. And now, enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Branches of Wisdom, the Banyan Books podcast. I'm your host, Ross McKeechee. Really excited today about our special guest, Mr. Will Store. Will Storr is an award-winning journalist. He's a best-selling author and a public speaker. He has six critically acclaimed books, including the novel, The Hunger and the Howling of Killian Lone, Selfie, How the West Became Self-Obsessed, and the Sunday Times bestseller, The Science of Storytelling. His journalism has appeared in titles such as The Guardian, The Sunday Times, The New Yorker, and The New York Times. His prizes include a National Press Club Award for Excellence and the AFM Award for Best Investigative Journalism. His work on sexual violence against men earned the Amnesty International Award and a One World Press Award. He's also been presented with the AIB Award for Best Investigative Documentary for his BBC radio series. He teaches popular storytelling classes in London and has been invited to present his science of storytelling workshop all over the world. He's also an in-demand ghostwriter whose books have spent months at the top of the Sunday Times bestseller chart and have sold more than 2 million copies. About the book today, the status game on human life and how to play it. I'll just say this, this book is a revelation to read and uh, I really encourage everyone to check it out. This is something that is so innate to us as human beings. And it's, I think it's really important that we bring awareness to it and understand how it works within us and, and in our society. So without any further ado, I'll welcome Will Storr. Will, thank you so much for joining Thanks, us. Thanks, Ross. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's so great to have you here. Uh, our, our producer, Jacob, and, and I have been really excited to have you for this one because this is just such a great piece of work that you've put together and put so much research into. No, thank you for having me. So one of the first things you, you do in the prologue of the book is you establish that everyone alive is playing a game. You talk about our primal need for acceptance into a community and for connection. And then you point out that once inside a group, we're rarely content to flop about on its lower rungs. We seek to rise. So I'm wondering, Will, just to start out with as an entry point, can you define for us what is status and what are some of the fundamental status games that we play? Yeah, sure. So um, sometimes when you're talking about status, as we say here in the UK, um, people think that I'm talking about, oh, um, you want to be rich, you want to be famous, you know, you want to be on the stage. Um, it does mean those things a little bit, but, but, but that's not really what it means. It's simply um, uh, the feeling that we are valued. So it's not the feeling that we are loved. Uh, um, um, you know, being loved, be, being accepted uh, into a community, feeling belongingness as a separate um, suite of emotions, as a separate drive. Uh, the feeling of, the, the, I'm talking about, the, as I say, the feeling of being valued, the feeling that other people look at us and see that's a valuable person, that, has, that person has value. So, 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 you know, part of what we do with our lives is we play what I call these status games. We, we join groups, you know, we, we, to satisfy our belongingness. And as you said in your introduction, you know, once we're in those groups, we're not usually happy being considered likable, but useless. Oh, he's a nice guy, but he's rubbish, you know. <laughs> nobody wants to, nobody wants that. That, that you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a human universal. We want to be seen as good, you know, even 
even on the level of you know being a mother or a father it's not that people want to be mums and dads it's they want to be good mums and good dads they want to be above average with their children that you're a great mum, a great dad that great and that good that's where the status comes in and and so you know if you think about um the human tribes that we evolved in the hunter-gatherer groups you know research shows that even in pre-modern groups the more status that you earn in the group the more you're valued um, the better everything else gets, the more food you get, the safer your sleeping sites. Um, uh, so, so, so it's a kind of basic rule of the, the, the human brain knows. And, and it's true in every group that you can imagine, whether it's a religious group, uh, uh, the company that you work for, a football team, the, 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 you know, the, the, the higher your status, the better everything else gets. Right. Now, there, there are some studies that you quote where people would even choose higher status over more money is that yeah. the case across the board like status is more important to us than money yeah yeah it is yeah i mean so if you think about it the brain hasn't evolved to crave money the, the brain because money hasn't been around for long enough but you know the status has been around since, since before we were human you know animals play status games in different ways you know mostly than humans but they, they do and um uh, so, so we've evolved to crave money but what, what humans are, are incredibly imaginative creatures and we can basically use anything to play status games with. Um, and one of those things, of course, a major one is is, is money. Um, but 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 really, what money? You know, what once we've got enough money to survive, once our literal survival for ourselves and our children is, is an issue, everything else is just kind of status and what we're spending that money on. So 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 it's status that really is um, you know driving all that stuff. I was surprised to find during my research that even Adam Smith, the you know the the, the father of capitalism uh, in his writings um, said that, that what drove money wasn't what drove people and what made people ambitious wasn't money. It was actually their, you know, their esteem, as he called it, the esteem of his fellows. Um, so, so, so even Adam Smith kind of knew that. Um, and, you know, studies bear this out. There's one, one that I talk about in the book where they asked 1500 um, British workers whether they would prefer um, uh, you know, a pay rise or a, um, a, or an improved, a more statusful job title. Um, so, you know, um, filing clerks, data storage, you know, offices or something. And most of them um, would choose the extra, you know, the extra status over the money. Right. Okay. So that covered, like, that covers just how important status or status is to us. And in the book, you say that, it's an ultimate rather than approximate drive. Can you just clarify what that means? Yeah, so, um, so psychologists um, uh, differentiate between um, things that drive us. Um, and so um, your um, proximate drive is, is the kind of, um, if you just say to somebody, you know, why did you do that thing that you're doing? Um, uh, the proximate drive is going to be the thing that, that comes out of their mouth. So why, why did you just eat that pizza? I love pizza. Pizza is delicious. That's the proximate drive. But the ultimate drive is that you've got all these, um, you know, very powerful drives for appetite, for carbohydrates and sugars um, that are about survival. So you, you don't say, why did you eat that pizza to survive? But so survival is the, is the ultimate drive. And that, and that becomes very important when you think about status because um, status is one of those ultimate drivers. It's one of those, again, it's one of those basic things that, rules that the human brain knows subconsciously go for status but when we go for status um it, when, when you say to people you know why did you write that book you know why do you, why do you play in that weekend football team um you know why do you paint they very rarely say because of status they, they, they say oh because i love you know uh, art and all that kind of stuff so 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 the important thing to have ultimate and proximate that um, drives is it's not that one's true and one's false they're, they're all they're both true it's just that you know why do you why are we evolved to love art and, and why have we evolved well you know part of the reason is because it's a path to status right so it's just getting to the deeper the deeper essence yeah. right okay yeah oh. the deep subconscious evolved cause yeah right maybe you can just and just for our audience to know, I think it's important for us to get a, a foundational understanding of how this operates in us as human beings. And then we can get into some of the real nuances and how it's playing out in society. I think maybe the last question in that line of thought for me would be, can you explain a little bit about the way our brains 
take in reality and make meaning out of symbols that we then attach value to and create status or status. Yeah, so, 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 so psychologists talk about and neuroscientists talk about this, what they call the status detection system. And so, 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 so our, our, our brains are, you know, mostly out of our conscious awareness, constantly um, assessing where we sit in the status games that we're playing, how much status is being afforded to us. So, that, so one of the big things to understand about status is, is, it, is it's given to us by other people. So, so, so you know, we, we, we can't, um, you know, if you go into a room and say, oh, I'm a very important person, people will generally laugh at you. You know, you, you, you know, you don't tell us that you have status. We give you the status. That's, you know, somebody needs to tell Donald Trump that, but that, that, that's kind of how that works. <laughs> and and so, so the brain is constantly assessing, 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 where do I stand in the status game uh, with these people? And, and it basically can glob onto anything. Uh, so one of the um, studies that I write about in the book that always stuck in my head was this study where they looked at people being poured measures of orange juice. And so if you pour um, lots of measures of orange juice for people, but one person gets a little bit less than everybody else, they tend to become very preoccupied with that and very upset about that. And again, that shows you, I mean, and, and you know, you're nodding and it's, you completely recognize it. Like it's a totally human response that, it, you know, it's archetypal human response. And you can obviously immediately understand it because your brain isn't it's, you're not annoyed that you've missed out on half a mouthful of orange juice you're annoyed you're annoyed because that status detection system has gone what why am i getting less so it's using that measure of orange juice as a as a way of assessing our status and we're so chippy about it that we'll immediately become switched on and alert and what's going on and you could think about um you know in the book i also write about um you know you're, you're, you're kind of playing status game constantly like i was you know, lived in um, Australia for four years and, I, you know, as a middle-aged man with my top off on Bondi Beach, you know, you can't help but play that status game and feel like you're really in a low, bad place. <laughs> you feel terrible, you know, yeah. in, in a lift, in, in a hotel, immediately you're playing status games. Who's got the nice baggage? Who's getting off on the, in the suites at the top floor? Who's an employee? You know, like, who, you know, who, who's um, crowding into me? And that, that, that's a, that, that's taken as by the subconscious as an assault on our status and all crowd into you. Cause like, you know, get, get, get back, you know, that's, that, that, yeah, that's disrespectful. So, so we're constantly, constantly um, playing these status games, mostly out of our conscious awareness. And you talk about the three overarching kinds of status games. There's all these different status games going on within our lives, but they fall into these three categories. Can you fill us in on those? Yeah, so, so, so there, there, there are loads of sort of paths to status that humans have. You know, youth is one um, in certain areas, but then in other areas, being old is, is statusful. Um, our looks, you know, our physical appearance is a way of, you know, earning or, you know, not earning status. But the three main, um, the three main kinds of game that we play, uh, there's dominance, uh, virtue, and success. So dominance games have been played since before we were human. That that's basically violence uh, or the threat of it, bullying, coercion. Whenever people force you to attend to them in status with aggression or the threat of aggression or the threat of you know ridicule, the threat of ostracization, they're playing a dominance game. So so so. so so that's what we've been doing since before animals since before we were animals but human beings are characterized by these other games which are kind of known as prestige games we know we also play games not with our physical bodies but with our reputation and so there are two ways of earning status um, in human groups there's virtue um, and so virtue is all about following rules knowing rules enforcing rules uh, believing the beliefs of your group um, you know you can see the pope as a kind of uh, global virtue game superstar, you know the Pope is a celebrity. You know Michelle Obama is a celebrity. You know, or, you know she, she seems this virtuous person. Mother Teresa. These are kind of um, uh, superstars of the virtue games. Um, but there's also success games. You know, competence. So it's, it's about revolving. Um, you know, you learn status if you were good at following the rules and good at knowing all the, the stories of the, of the tribe and so on. But you'd also earn um, status if you were good at stuff, a good hunter, a good honey finder, a good tuba finder, a good sorcerer, a good storyteller. Um, so, um, so, so yeah, so, so, so those are the three ways that you we were earning status 10,000 years ago. And then the, the, the three ways we earn status today, if you look on social media, you'll see it all happening. Dominance games, virtue games, and success games. That's basically... 99.9% of social media is uh, uh, are people playing those three games. 
what happens when you know if we're if we're as the as the quote unquote lowest point completely unconscious of our pursuit of status and then as we make it more conscious we become more aware and accepting that that's part of us as a human being do, do you have an idea of of how that shifts uh us as human beings and the communities that we're in well i think we become conscious Consciously aware of it when a when our status is challenged, as I say, when you know when we get that less orange juice, when someone crowds into us at the lift, you, your brain is drawing your attention to this thing, and, and and you feel the emotion, and emotions are there to kind of motivate us to act. Um, so, it's, it's, uh, but also of course when you do have um, some sort of victory, you know, um, you know one one of the great things about human humans is that is uh, and human groups is that in, in functional games in functional groups if you're if you're working for an organization that is a good organization and not a toxic one um you can be on the lowest rungs of the ladder in a meeting and make a great contribution and everybody goes oh it's amazing brilliant love it and you can leave that meeting even though you're down there and the, and the ceo is up there feeling like you're the on top of the world everybody else can think of think, think of that of you too so, 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 so that's the other time when it becomes conscious when we, you know, make a great contribution, when, when other people treat us as if we are of value, you know, we feel great, we feel fantastic. So, 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 so I think, you know, when we are experiencing significant wins and losses, that, that those are the times when we become really conscious of it. How about for you as you, I don't know, how, how long did you spend researching and writing this book? Was it, it was a number of years, I assume. About four years, yeah. About four years. So how about for you, as you did your research and went through this process and became more and more aware of how it's playing out in, in our society and in yourself, did it change your own relationship to your pursuit of status? Yeah, it definitely did. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's one of those things that, um, you, you know, I think when unconscious things are made conscious, it's always really valuable. It's always really helpful because you, you get so much more understanding about yourself you get so much more understanding about why you're behaving how you're behaving um um uh, yeah so, so I, I think in two specific ways um one is that i you know when i have conflicts with people now i i, I can't, i'm able to take it less seriously because even though i still feel the emotions you know you can't you can't not play the status game it's in our wiring it's completely embedded in us um I, I can have that kind of almost meditative effect of standing aside from the feelings and going ah oh, you know it's just you know it's just status it's just status it's okay you'll, you'll feel fine in a couple of days it's you know and that sense that i know now that i'll feel fine if if I, as soon as i have another win as soon as somebody else makes me feel good about us i feel totally fine again so, so, so that's been interesting to to, to observe and, and, and it makes you feel a bit more um stable you know because i understand what these emotions are doing now um, and the other thing is that, that, that i suppose the other big change has had is that is, is understanding that um the most healthy happy people play multiple status games i think that's been really important to me so so, 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 so you know before we wrote this book you know at the end of the book i advise play multiple games but i'm the worst person at that because i'm not a parent i don't do anything i sit in my office and i write and that's what i do <laughs> that's my whole life and and so I've, i i'm sort of diversifying my life now like i've got a hobby now i'm into cycling now um i'm i'm in the stages of uh, becoming a volunteer for um you know a, a, a charity over here because i because you think well you know what's your virtue status what do you do for anyone and the answer is like apart from my dogs nothing you know and i think god oh, that's terrible so, so, so i'm now volunteering so, so, so it's, it's definitely changed my life in, 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 in positive ways, understanding this stuff. Right, right. So the way I understand that is, I mean, there's two parts that, that come to mind for me. One is that, you know, when you look at people that are active in multiple different spheres of life, then they're usually very happy. And if, and if one thing falls away and they lose that form of status, they still have this other thing in their life that gives them confidence and recognition and status. Exactly. And, yeah. 
So what I wonder is, does that tell us something about how we should be raising our children? Because I know like a lot of people, like let's say there's a Tiger Woods, just as a random yeah. example. Yeah. He's obviously got a, a gift with golf, but also his, his father was there with him, coaching him along, and they just they laser focused on that one thing. Um, so does that tell us like, sh you know, should we raise our, you know, if, if Tiger Woods lost his ability to play golf, we might see a, a severe drop in status. But if he, you know, had many other skills and areas that he was involved with, you know, so I'm wondering if should we raise our kids in a way that they're multifaceted individuals? Is that kind of a... Yeah. So, so, so I think that um, Tiger Woods is probably not the best example because right. I, I think there's an argument that if, if you realize your, your, your child is a genius, yeah. then you should do everything to encourage them to pursue that right. genius because they, they, they could change the world you know and then right. they could have an incredible life and yes there are risks in that so when, when that thing is taken away from them as as it inevitably will at some point either if it's a physical thing they'll just become less good um uh, you know i i think you know if you're tiger woods and you're nine and you're a genius then th then i would advocate for just going all in on that game but when you're hitting middle age start thinking and it starts to go away then you start thinking okay what other games am i playing and then you know, often people go into teaching, you know, type always, you know, like, or, you know, you know, sharing your knowledge with other people. That's a different status game. But, but for, for the 99%, 9% of us who aren't type words, right. I, I would definitely advocate. Um, so there's a few things I wrote about this in, in a prospect selfie, this kind of toxic Western idea that we, that we have, that you can be anything you want. You can, you know, you can do whatever you want. And I think that's a, that's a, that's a horrible thing to tell your children, you, you know, you, 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 because, um, it's not true. It's literally not true. It's not true genetically. You know, it's unfair. And so, um, you know, I, I, I think the trick is to get our children is to find out, find where that little niche in the world is, um, where they where they can be, you know, somewhat useful and somewhat good, and and and, and that's often following the things that they love and enjoy. And don't worry too much if the thing they love and enjoy isn't going to get make them a millionaire. Because that's not what's important. The, 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 the important things that they get out of bed in the morning and do whatever they're going to do, and they feel of value. They're going to go and work with some people or interact with some people to think they're an above average person doing doing this thing. That's that's the important thing. And I also think, I mean, the, the big lesson for me is that you know don't, don't just pursue one kind of a one kind of a game. You know, uh, I, I, I think. Uh, you know, the, 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 the big gap in my life was virtue, not, you know, especially not being a parent where, where, where you are giving so much of yourself as a parent. And so, so I, I think healthy people psychologically, uh, you know, are able to have virtue forms of status and competence forms of status. So they think virtue games and success games, they're both able and good, I suppose is another way of um, looking at it. Right. Okay. Okay. Thank you. So, as as you know, in a, a Banyan Books is we have a wide variety of books that we carry. Although to many people, Banyan would be considered a spiritual bookstore. Mm. So, I definitely wanted to ask you about, you know, meditation and spirituality and how the status game plays into those kinds of communities. Maybe I can share a quote um, from the book because I think this is a really interesting one for myself personally and for anybody who is a on a spiritual path or practices meditation um, or looking towards ideas of transcendence. So this is, this is what you write regarding meditation. A study of around 3,700 who'd practice specifically to quote unquote, reduce attachment to the personal self and ego needs, such as social approval and success, found they scored highly in measures of quote unquote, spiritual superiority. Agreeing with statements, statements such as, I am more in touch with my senses than most others. Because of my background and experiences, I'm more in touch with my body than other people. And the world would be a better place if others too had the insights that I have now. And the study leader, Professor Roos Vonk, found the self-views they developed were, quote-unquote, the exact opposite of enlightenment. Wow. 
Yeah, so I, I guess I'm not arguing that, that, that there's, I'm certainly not arguing there's no value in meditation. I, would, I, I wouldn't argue that. Oh. It, it's simply the observation that it's, it's an embedded part of the human condition that we, um, you know, when we get good at something, uh, we, we start to feel good about ourselves and a little bit superior and maybe better than other people. You, you, you know, you can't get rid of it. I mean, that was another one with the orange juice and the, with the meditation study. You know, when I talk about that, the idea of spiritual superiority, people who get become expert meditators actually feeling quite proud of themselves, looking down their nose a little bit, maybe at people who don't, don't understand the world like they do. Like, it's funny because it's true. Like, of course, that's what people do because we're people. You know, <laughs> you know. So, 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 so it's not to kind of dump on meditation. Certainly, you know, I think the meditation meditation is hugely valuable. I also think I, I suspect strongly that meditation can help you lessen um, your attachment to, to, to kind of status pursuits. But but uh, but I don't believe that it can um, eradicate them totally. I mean, my, my, one of my one of my major experiences of meditation was I had a book called The Unpersuadables, and as part of that, I um, went to a 10 day silent Vipassana um is it Vipassana some people say Vipassana some people say Vipassana yeah yeah in Australia they said Vipassana and um and I was there on the first day and everybody was I think it was like 16 hours a day of meditation it was really hard <laughs> and um I, I'm not I, I'm not used to it so so when the kind of guru guy I don't know what you call him came onto the stage with his bald head and everybody was like cross-legged but I was it was painful so I, I stretched out my legs and listened to his talk and I was pulled out um I was given a message to go and see him in disgrace uh, and he told me that um it was incredibly disrespectful because I had um, um my, the soles of my feet were facing him and how dare I do this to him it's incredibly you know disrespectful there was hundreds of people there and he focused on the soles of my feet and I just thought this is insane you know you're here talking about the destruction of the ego <laughs> uh, but you're so offended by the sight of the soles of my feet which is something that I didn't even know was offensive to you that you've pulled me out of the silent retreat and it and I felt humiliated I felt embarrassed I felt you know so so, so, so that, that, that is the kind of anecdote in my head that goes with that study this guy um, was, was 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 talking the talk, but in my view, wasn't really walking the walk because he was very attached to his ego, as, as far as I could see. Wow, that's a, that is a really great story to illustrate that point. That, yeah, my teachers always said to me, um, "Don't don't don't worry about what any teacher says. Look at their life, and that'll tell yes. you." Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, you, you brought up humiliation. That was a, a, an experience of humiliation. And of course, it would have been related to the, you're, you were brought down in, in status in that group and made to feel less than. And you didn't even know the rules of the status game there. You had no idea yeah. you were breaking that rule. One of the things you talk about is that a lot of the worst of the human condition is brought out by repeated humiliation and extreme loss of status. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so when, in the very early stages of thinking about this as a possible book, I set myself a little test and you know, I thought, okay, if you're gonna argue that status is so important, then it must be really bad when, when it's taken away from us. Like what happens when people are, it's taken away from us? And I, and I found this um, incredible paper called Humiliation and its Consequences by two psychologists. And, and so they, 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 they describe humiliation as not only the removal of your status, but it's, but it's so severe that, that you can never claim status in, in that community ever again. You're basically expel, you know, expelled from that, from, from that group, that community. And, you, you know, I mean, when I looked into kind of the effects of accumulation in, the, in that paper and elsewhere, basically, whatever, when it, just name the very, very, very worst of the human condition, and you will find humiliation slithering about there. I'm talking about terrorism, I'm talking about um, serial murder, I'm talking about honour killing, I'm talking about incel misogynist culture, and even up to genocide. Um, um, all of those um, horrible phenomena have um, humiliation deeply embedded in them. One of the, th there, there's a statement in the book that I really wanted to take some time with you to unpack a little bit. 
Um, it's at the end of chapter 18, War Games, where you talk about our human tendency to win conquests, not just over people, land, resources, but beliefs and ideologies. And you write this. The lesson many will find impossible to accept is this. Never believe groups who claim they just want, quote unquote, equality with rivals. No matter what they say, no matter what they believe, they don't. They weave a marvelous dream of fairness for all, but the dream is a lie. So what, if I understand rightly, and correct me if I'm wrong, what you're saying there is any group of people who's claiming we're, we're, our aim is to create a fair and just society for all, mm-hmm. that, that's just not possible for a human being to, tr- to not have the under... Yeah. Or am I taking it too far? No, no, that, 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 that's correct. I mean, you're, you're actually the first person to ask me about that, um, that stage. That sentence was interesting because I, when I wrote it, I thought, or I, if you, when I originally wrote it, it was like, never believe people. And I thought, well, it might be true, but I'm going to change it to groups. But, but so, 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 so it's like, it's true. I mean, I, I think this, I talk about um, some Nicholas Christakis work in the preceding paragraph, which talks about the... Um, lab studies which shown that people that, that people just want to win and, and they want they, and they want their groups to win and 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 for him he's a big social psychologist and that's that's more that's more of a depressing finding about the human condition than the fact that we are naturally kind of xenophobic it's just awful but but unfortunately it's true and and, and you know i, I think um it, yeah wherever you look in human history you never find a group that becomes preeminent and becomes top of the tree and go okay now we're in power we want to you know genuinely share it we want we, we don't want to be in charge we don't want to have all the states we want to share the states it, it, it just doesn't happen and I, and I think the most obvious um if perhaps controversial way that, that, that it's manifesting certainly in the uk at the moment is in you know the incredible and you know wonderful success of the feminist project since the since the 19 um uh, you know, well, well, since the since the part of the 1900s, I suppose, since the suffragette movement, I mean, it's just been incredibly successful, and now we see, um, you know, women in extraordinary um, positions everywhere. Um, not that I'm saying for a second that women don't still have unique and terrible um, obstacles to success, but 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 so do you know increasingly men and boys, and 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 um, and, and but you very rarely see um, feminists. Um, you do sometimes, but you very rarely see feminists arguing, saying, well, hang on a minute, boys are, uh, are falling behind in education now, boys are falling behind in university, you know, three, qu- uh, three quarters of suicide, um, K- um, six, people who kill themselves are male, like, like you, do, you just don't see them making these arguments, and that's not to attack feminists at all, uh, it, it, it's simply to say that they're just human, and they're doing that human thing of, they've got their group, they've got their status game, and they want status for their group, and so, 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 yeah, and I, I, I think history bears this out, psychology bears this out. It's, a, it's an unpleasant um, reality. Uh, the reason I changed it in, in the last minute from people to groups is because I'm not sure that, I mean, perhaps there are individuals that you could point to in the world who genuinely want equality for all. But, but I'm talking specifically, I think, about when you look at the groupishness, when we operate in groups, groups tend to want to win. Yeah, yeah, that that makes perfect sense. It really does. Um, now, I, what I think it would be nice to kind of understand where our Western mainstream society is at today, and kind of the status games that we're playing, and 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 how that's playing into some of the struggles and challenges. You get into this in the book in depth. Chapter twenty-five is called the neoliberal self where you kind of shed some light on how we've got to where we are. Can you shed a bit of light on, on the status games we're presently playing and how we got here? Yeah, sure. So that chapter is kind of a, a kind of a very small and um, uh, kind of brief, um, it basically is, is the argument I'm making about the previous book, Selfie, um, but I'm kind of showing how it works from the status point of view. And, it, and it's, it's basically saying that we are in a, or we have been in a phase of massively heightened individualism. So in the West, compared to in the East, we, we're individualists. So, so, so we see the individual human being as the kind of um, locus of change, as the locus of importance. And, you know, that's, that's both good and bad. It's good because human rights comes out of the value of the individual. Um, it's bad because we are a bit self-obsessed and a bit narcissistic in the, uh, 
in, in the West compared to um, you know other other, other cultures. Um, and then what happened in the eighties was that um, you know before the eighties, sort of between the post-war era and the end of the seventies, was a surprisingly collective time in the West. So it was it amazed me when I found out that in the US the top rate of tax was ninety percent. You know that like like is this incredible? That, that that's the golden age that Donald Trump wanted to take America back to. Although I don't think he realised it. Um, so so you know we're very you know, it was full of collective projects. You know state building projects in, over here in the UK with the NHS and the welfare state and, and and you know the New Deal in America. But it will start going wrong in the seventies, and so Thatcher and Reagan hit upon this idea of neoliberalism. And in effect, what neoliberalism is 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 it's um, a kind of headfirst charge into greater individualism. It's basically we're going to create competition wherever we can. So we're going to get rid of as much of the social safety net as we can get away with. We're going to privatise all the industry. We want competition, 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 competition. And the amazing thing about that is that, you know, in the book I write a lot about, you know, we become the games that we play. Uh, the, the brain detects the rules by which we have to get along and get ahead. And we change, we kind of morph and mould ourselves to those rules and become those kinds of people. And, and so, and there was a huge kind of change in the Western self in the, in, in the 80s as a result of the, way, of the rules of the economy changing. You know, as, as I write in the book, we went from, you know, fuck the man, hippies, anti-materialistic, um, you know, in 65 to greed is good, <laughs> bragging our red braces in Wall Street 20, just 20 years later, complete reversal in the cultural self. And I know that's a generality, but when you talk about cultural changes, it's always generalities. Um, so it's, uh, and so I, I, and I think what's happened is that kind of um, social media has accelerated this um, kind of self-obsessed um, uh, kind of Western self. Um, and I think the 80s, the 90s and the early 2000s, we, we really saw the preeminence of success games. The West was a success game culture. Um, that's all through my lifetime. It's been, you know, the fancy car the fancy clothes and, and my analysis uh, um, um, uh, of what happened uh, of what's been going on since 2008 is that we've had the financial crisis uh, we've had a new and unpleasant world for millennials and gen z's in which they're finding it harder and harder and harder to get that success-based status you know we have a generation of children who are going to be less the first generation going to be less wealthy than their parents we have student debt, it's impossible for them to get on the housing ladder. You know, life is tough. The, you know, the status game is harder for Gen Z and millennials than it was for Gen X and the boomers. So, and I, and I think that's partly what explains these great cultural shifts we've seen since 2008 um, with, you know, the rise of social justice um, um, consciousness. You know, for me, that's because especially for, you know, graduates, for, um, uh, you know, for wealthy kind of privileged um, people, success status is harder to come by than ever. So you go to virtue status, and again, that's not. I'm not that's I'm not that, that that that's great for lots of reasons. It also has lots of negative effects. I think virtue games can be quite aggressive. Um, that can be quite hostile. But but I but I think that's a, that, that's at least part of the reason why we've seen some of the cultural changes that we've seen uh, since the end since the global financial crisis. Talk about the new left and the new right mm -hmm. and um, the polarization that we're seeing politically and in the media. And I'm just going to share a quote that leads to a question. You write, um, the trouble is the new left and new right tend to see everyone who's not for them as the enemy. And so the political center where the majority live finds itself under attack from both sides, leaving many feeling alienated, baffled, angry, and afraid as the world churns around them. That describes to a T my experience and, and most of the people I know, like what, what reality is like on the ground level, on the street day to day with the people you speak to versus the polarization we see in politics and in the media. Uh, and, and in the book, you say this is, they're playing the virtue game and you just mentioned that. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit more about the downside of the virtue game and what's happening these days from that angle? Yeah, I'm glad that that resonated because when I was writing that sentence, I was writing about me. That's how I felt, you know, too. So, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I think, so when you look at the demographics of who are on what I call the new left, the social justice progressive activist left, 
they're, they're the most highly educated demographic group. They're the wealthiest demographic group. So they're kind of wealthy um, graduates, effectively, um, you know, uh, very educated, often underemployed. Um, uh, so that's the new left. Um, and the new right, um, uh, you, you know, I think that they are the sort of the disenfranchised white, often the, the disenfranchised white working class who, again, have seen huge declines in relative status um, in the UK. Um, they've been the most affected by the, you know, the large amount of immigration that we've had, you know, um, uh, into the UK since the 50s, I guess. Um, it's affected their communities way more than it's affected anybody else's communities, and they feel less important they feel nudged out um the, the, i i think the you know i'm a left-wing person and i think the a kind of cone of care in a way you're kind of you know um has, has shifted um from class to you know race and gender very much since the 60s um so you know for lots of very good reasons but 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 the, you know the poor people that we used to care about that george orwell wrote so passionately about we don't really care about them very much anymore especially the white working class poor and they feel it you know they, they, they feel um marginalized and insulted um by the culture at large so um you know i i think that's what you've got you've got these two warring teams essentially you've got the white working class who feel a reduction in status you've got the new left um you know young wealthy highly educated but finding it harder than their parents did, also feeling a reduction in status. And they're kind of going at it. Um, they're, they're, they're small parts of the population. I, I, I'm not sure what the figures are in Canada, but the progressive activists left, it's 13% it's, um, of the UK population, it's 8% of the US population, or it might be the other way around. Um, so, 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 even though, but, 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 they, but, so even though they're a small part of the actual population, they make more total contributions to social media than everybody else combined. So if you go online, you feel that they're the majority, but they're actually only kind of a narrow sliver of the, the very angry sliver of the population. So, 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 so I think that's what's going on. You're seeing these two groups, um, two demographics who feel, um, I, I would argue both correctly, that they've suffered a reduction in status over, over you know, the new left over the last, well, since the financial crisis. Uh, the new rights and support for, for, for much longer um but but it's certainly you know globalization um the kind of globalization era has affected them the most and, and they're, they're basically when you talk about the culture wars those are the two sides that are at war but everybody else of course is, is feels very much in the thick of it and you know uh you know in, it's sort of caught in the crossfire yeah thank you for that and and uh i yeah, that's where I've found myself. And I know most people um, that I associate with day to day feel the same way. Um, there's some really nice questions from the from the live audience here. Well, is it okay if we get to some of those? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Very happy to. All right. Okay. So there, there's a question here from Valerie. And, and I saw another, just as a caveat before I introduce this question, I saw another interview where you sort of, there's a question around status and how the different genders relate to it. And I know you said, I'm very careful about how I deal with, you know, those kinds of questions. But I, I think this is, I, I'd love to hear what you have to say. So Valerie says, are there differences in sex considered regarding status, violence, mm -hmm. dominance, strategizing, strategizing, et cetera, in terms of the way or manner, I think she means in terms of the way or manner that they approach status? Yes, so um, men are much more violent, obviously. It does go without saying, you know, wherever you go in the world, you look in prisons, is, is you know the violent people that there's men you know and so but violence is a way of playing dominance games um so so, so that's a big difference um psychologists talk about um you know female aggression being much more kind of groupish so when you look at aggression in children um again big generality but but young boys in playgrounds punch each other um and, but girls form groups and ostracize and bully and call names so so, 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 so those are the um Kind of that's how kind of a, a aggression works on the gender level but of course again it's a huge generalization women also are violent men also do ostracization and bullying and then and all that stuff but that, that's but that, that that's kind of that, that, that's a kind of generality so, so that's the so the dominance games are very different and and, and um you know as you know in in the book there's a chapter 
where I say, I, I, I call that, you know, the, the world's most lethal people, they're male, they're grandiose and they're humiliated. Like if you get a man who's very, who's a bit narcissistic and full of himself and you humiliate him, you've got an extremely dangerous individual there. So, 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 so I think, you, you know, certainly men are um, a lot more dangerous the, um, in terms of violence. Again, it really goes without saying that. Uh, but I think perhaps what's interesting is that, um, it, you know, I think whenever you're gender, you've got to be very careful. So anyone to pick the most robust findings I could find, the ones that are have essentially become inarguable in the sciences. And one of those findings is that the, the, the difference in interest uh, between the genders, and you find this all around the world, um, it, it's a large effect um, uh, and it's consistent. So um, it's probably unlikely to be cultural because it's cross-cultural, so it's probably likely to be some, some genetic component here. But generally speaking, um, women are more interested in people and men are more interested in things. So that means that if you, if you get um, 100, you know, 50 men and 50 women and say, okay, everybody who's interested in trucks, step forward. It's very likely that you know, wherever you go in the world, more men than women are gonna, you know, step forward. I was out on my bike the other day and um, in a field, there was all these, there was a, um, a model aeroplane club. And I looked at the model aeroplane club and every single one is all men. You know, it's all men, and it was completely predictable. It's all men, so like you just predict that. And so, 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 so that's interesting. And of course, you can debate on people. People debate whether that's um, partly cultural, whether women are just raised to believe they can't be interested in X, Y, and Z, uh, or if it's genetic. My view is it's probably a bit of both. Um, but what that means is that um, the gender difference in status of games is always going to be different. So, so it, what that means is that if you're in the tractor industry. You're probably going to be male dominated and you're probably going to have a, a surfeit of male leaders and that's not a result of patriarchy or sexism that's a result of just ordinary differences between male and female interests um likewise if you go into a school school system you might find or you know um, um more women than men in leadership positions certainly in psychology uh, you know which is about people um, you know, there's, there's loads of absolutely fantastic, brilliant senior, you know, female psychologists. So, 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 so yeah, I, I think that's the other major um, difference uh, in terms of gender and the status games is this, this basic fundamental difference in interests translates into a difference in the gender balance of the various games that, that, you, that you see played out, played out there in the world. Thanks. And thanks, Valerie, for the question. Um, now, there's, a, there's an interesting one here from Tanya, who says, I've heard it said that the fear at the core of each human comes down to death. How would you say the fear of loss of status and the fear of death are related to each other or not? Well, that is a good question. I mean, I, I'm not sure if it's the same thing, but there was a theory that was going around in a while called terror management theory, which was the idea that, that we're, basically everything that motivated us in life was the fear of death. And that hasn't fared very well in terms of it being proven to be true. I think it's generally accepted that it's not correct now, that, that theory. Um, I, obviously, I would say this, but I think, I, I think status is a much greater motivator. I don't think we really think about our deaths very much. I think, you know, part of the Part of the wonder of humans is that we have you know we, we that we are able to distract ourselves quite nicely from thinking about death unless it becomes very pertinent to us um but um I, you know I, I guess one of the things that I, it did make me realize when i was writing the book was that um how closely our identities come out of the status games that we play you know we really become the games that we play you know like i we, like I am a writer. That's what I do. That's how I earn my status. That's also who I am as a person. That's my that, that that's my kind of psyche. And, and I think that um, you know, if that was taken away from me for whatever reason, um, if my reputation was destroyed on social media, for example, um, that's a kind of a death. You know, I think reputational death. I, I think we underestimate how absolutely agonizing is for people to um um lose their reputations I, I think it's a i think it's a kind of a death and i think when people's reputations are taken away from them unfairly it's kind of a it sounds melodramatic but it's kind of a murder it's kind of a, it's kind of a, it's a brutal attack and, and and i think that's why people become often become suicidal when 
um, that the experience suddenly falls in status because actual physical death becomes less painful than the reputational death that they've suffered. That's why I believe that Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein, didn't kill him, uh, didn't did kill himself because he's he, he's absolutely in the category of somebody that is highly vulnerable to suicidal ideation. Somebody that would that, that would go from up there to having such an absolute dearth of status. One of the most hated and reviled men in the world. Yeah, he's classic. Right. So on the other side of that coin, is is that a case for, you know, culturally having a little more awareness for the impact that like this cancel culture that we're that we're yeah. living in right now, having a little more awareness around how um, the loss of reputation and status seriously impacts someone before we, you know, make these sweeping judgments about them and wipe them yeah, out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, absolutely. I, I, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I write about cancel culture in, in a chapter in the book, as you know, and um, these people that went after this woman in the knitting scene because she, she said that she was excited to go to India because it was like going, it was going to be like going to another planet. And she, and she was accused of being a racist for saying that and, 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 and really went through a very difficult time. And somebody that came in to defend her ended up being hospitalized um, because he had a nervous breakdown. I mean, it's terrible. And, and yeah, so I think we, we should be much more aware of what we're doing if we're tempted. And it is tempting sometimes to kind of mob up and go after somebody that um, expresses views that we don't agree with. Um, you know, when you, as I say, when you, when you take away people's identities like that, it's a kind of a, and it's an it isn't an I mean this is not my my quote but in the humiliation chapter one of the humiliation researchers describe humiliation as an annihilation of the self and I think that's that, that that's exactly right I think when people take away our, you know that, that that's that's the effort of our lives goes into our goes into our kind of status game identities we day after day we put everything into them and 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 so to have it taken away that's why people fall to pieces because. They, they have been taken, psychologically, they have been taken to pieces. Yeah. There's a question here from Joy, and I, this is an interesting one because, well, I, I'll let you answer it. I, I, I'm curious to see where you'll go with it. She asks, how do we stop the game for ourselves on a personal level? I'm not sure that you can stop because it's so deeply embedded um, you know, into us, even when we dream, it's often about status, you know, like the, the classic dream of being naked in front of people, like it's, um, it's, it's, uh, you know, you, you can't stop it, but, but I think you can lessen its effect, A, by being aware of it, and uh, as I spoke about before, I think, you know, playing multiple games is the is really the key, uh, and I also think it's, it's also made me realise that sort of sudden huge rises in status that we might dream of, especially when we're young, um, are actually often really bad for you. And we, and we know that anecdotally, we know that child stars often end in terrible, you know, terrible um, uh, straits. But but I think a life of slow, steady accumulations of status is a much happier one than one that's doing this all the time uh, much happier and i certainly would take the slow steady accumulation of status that ends up with that much status than the one that ends up is doing this all the time and you know definitely i, th I think people are much happier who who, who just have this uh, constant and steady and regular sources of status in their lives I think we've got time for one more audience question before we we start wrapping up i just want to remind everyone we're speaking with will store about his newest book the status game on human life and how to play it it's a really wonderful book um the release was a little bit delayed i understand but you can pre-order it at banyan.com it'll be coming out in september and uh i really encourage everyone to check it out a big thanks to our live audience for being here and, and making these events what they are. And a big thanks to our, our uh, producer, Jacob Steele, who's always there behind the scenes and who makes all of these uh, events and interviews happen for everybody's benefit. So thanks, Jacob. Uh, Will, there's, there's a neat question here from Marina um, that I'm interested in too. And it's how does status play out in marriages and nuclear families? 
Ah, that's a good question. I don't address that in my book because uh, re really the status games happen. In, it's about social, human social life. It's what we do outside of. It's the um, status games are like versions of tribe. So whenever we join a tribe, that's a status game. But um, that's not to say that status doesn't happen in, in family life. Of course, um, um, it happens in marriages. You know, you know, marriages are constant. <laughs> doing up and down. Um, you know, power, power, would you say power struggles? It's more really it's status struggles. It's, um, you know, how do we see ourselves? How do we see our partners? Who, who's on top? Who's down below? Anybody that's got brothers or sisters knows that that, that you know, that's a really interesting one because there's this, um, there's this, automatic assumption of status in terms of the oldest sibling is that is in charge and i know i'm not the oldest sibling but but i, I have friends who's who, who've who, whose eldest siblings take that assumption of high status with them into adulthood and they always want to be treated as the king or the queen even when they're in their 50s and 60s and that causes a lot of friction because i'm an adult too now so, 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 yeah, I don't write about it in the book, but, but, but certainly um, uh, that, that's not because I don't think status, ha status um, is involved in family life. It, it certainly is. But, but um, I just wanted to focus very much on the games that we play when we leave, when we leave the, the home. And the, the other thing is, um, you know, I, I do talk in the book about how we're raised changes how we play games. And there was a fascinating study, which I don't have time to talk about in any detail, in America, which looked at three different classes, working class, middle class, and up in East Side in New York, and the different ways that their parents raised their children to play status games. And also, um, what, I, what I thought was fascinating was adolescence. Adolescence is the time when, I, when, when, when we hit puberty, something very specific in our brain changes, which makes us care much more about our social reputation. So we start playing status games. And status is why um, teenagers are both at the same time um, obnoxious and uh, risk-taking and, you know, drive their cars too fast and do, do, you know, take, often take drugs and alcohol and all that stuff to excess, but also incredibly easily embarrassed because it, it's about they're suddenly playing status game. They're suddenly highly sensitive status. So when they're, you know, when, they, when they're driving too fast and being crazy, that's status. But also when they're suddenly really embarrassed, that's also... It's the same thing. It's, it's, so they feel like they see like opposite behaviours, but actually it's a store because their brains have suddenly started playing status games. And that's why when we hit, um, you know, when, when children hit their teenage years, their peer groups become more influential over their behaviour and their beliefs than their parents because they've left the parental home now and their brains have changed such that they're now playing fully adult status games. Well, before we say goodbye, maybe you can just, you know, summarize for us we've talked you know a bit about the the negative impacts of the status game what do you see as the best of humanity with the status yeah we focused on the downers yeah like they, but, they, but, they, 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 but it's also like it is the worst the worst of humanity i think is involved in status but also it's the best like it definitely is um we have evolved to um automatically award other people's status when they do selfless generous things that's brilliant. No other animal does that. You know, we, we you know, we, when when we hear of somebody all of a sudden in your life does something generous and selfless and virtuous, we go, you're amazing, you're wonderful. We, you, we reward them with status. It's fantastic. You know, we reward ourselves and we do something good. We don't even have to tell anybody that we feel this uplift in ourselves. We feel better. We feel, you know, it's great. So that's that's a really amazing thing about status. But the other thing, which is really significant, is we have this automatic system for rewarding competence, for becoming good at stuff. So that's civilization, that's technology, that's that that that's that's you know modernity. Um, you don't get that without that ultimate drive of status, without people wanting to feel like they're a really good scientist, a really good technologist, a really good designer of this, a really good um, uh, designer of uh, you know COVID vaccines. You know, without that ultimate drive that we all have of wanting to be really good at the thing that we do. You don't get any of this stuff. So, 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 you know, without the status game, we're back in the animal world. Uh, you know, without the prestige games, we're back. We're back in the world of living in trees and ditches. So, um, you know, as well as being the worst of humanity, it is definitely also the best of who we are.
Well, Storr, thank you so much for being with us today. It's really been a pleasure to speak to you and, and uh, I hope that we get to talk to you again sometime. Thanks, Ross. That was a great chat. Thank you. And thanks everybody for the questions. Thanks for joining us for Branches of Wisdom, a podcast of Banyan Books and Sound, Canada's spiritual and healing resource since 1970. Our podcast producer is Jacob Steele. The show is edited by Abdo Habani. And I'm your host, Ross McKeechee. Watch all our conversations on YouTube by searching for Banyan Books or listen on your favorite podcast platform. Please subscribe, follow, like, and leave your reviews and comments. We love to hear from you. For all our live events, books, and more, visit us at banyan.com.